Chapter 9 Lady Rose's Daughter by Miss Humphrey Ward This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Freshface Lady Rose's Daughter by Miss Humphrey Ward Chapter 9 when Miss Le Breton reached the hall, a footman was at the outer door, reciting Lady Henry's excuses as each fresh carriage drove up. While in the inner vestibule, which was well screened from the view of the street, was a group of men, still in their hats and overcoats, talking and laughing in subdued voices. Julie Le Breton came forward. The hats were removed, and the tall, stooping form of Montresor advanced. Lady Henry's so sorry, said Julie in a soft, lowered voice. But I'm sure she would like me to give you her message and to tell you how she is. She would not like her old friends to be alarmed. Would you come in for a moment? There's a fire in the library. Mr. Delafield, don't you think that would be best? Will you tell Hutton not to let in anybody else? She looked at him uncertainly, as though appealing to him. As a relation of Lady Henry's to take the lead. By all means, said that young man, after perhaps a moment's hesitation in throwing off his coat. Only please make no noise, said Mr. Breton, turning to the group. Lady Henry might be disturbed. Everyone came in, as it were, on tiptoe. In each face, a sense of the humour of the situation fought with the consciousness of its dangers. As soon as Montresor saw the little Duchess by the fire, he threw up his hands in relief. I breathe again, he said, greeting her with effusion. Duchess, where thou goest I may go, but I feel like a little boy robbing a hen roost. Let me introduce my friend, General Fergus. Take us, pray, both under your protection. On the contrary, said the Duchess as she returned General Fergus's bow. You are both so magnificent that no one would dare to protect you. For they were both in uniform, and the general was resplendent with stars and medals. We have been dining with royalty, said Montresor. We want some relaxation. He put on his eyeglasses, looked round the room, and gently rubbed his hands. How very agreeable this is! What a charming room! I never saw it before. What are we doing here? Is it a party? Why shouldn't it be? Meredith, have you introduced Monsieur de Bartas to the Duchess? Ah, I see. For Julie Le Breton was already conversing with a distinguished Frenchman, wearing a rosette of the Legion of Honour on his buttonhole, who had followed Dr. Meredith into the room. As soon as Montresor spoke, however, she came forward, and in a French which was a joy to the ear, she presented Monsieur de Bartas, a tall, well-built Norman, the fair moustache, first to the Duchess, and then to Lord Lackington and Jacob. The director of the French Foreign Office, said Montresor, in an aside to the Duchess. He hates us like poison, but if you haven't already asked him to dinner, I warned you last week he was coming. Pray, do it at once. Meanwhile, the Frenchman, his introductions over, looked curiously round the room, studied its stately emptiness, 
the books on the walls under the terrace work, faintly gilt, the three fine pictures. Then his eyes passed to the tall and slender lady who had addressed him in such perfect French, and to the little duchess in her flutter of lace and satin, the turn of her small neck, and the blaze of her jewels. These English women overdo their jewels, he thought with distaste. But they overdo everything. That is a handsome fellow, by the way, who was with La Petite Fille when we arrived. And his shrewd, small eyes travelled from Warkworth to the Duchess, his mind the while instinctively assuming some hidden relation between them. Meanwhile, Montresor was elaborating, informing himself as to Lady Henry. This is the first time for twenty years that I have not found her on a Wednesday evening, he said, with a sudden touch of feeling which became him. At our age, the smallest break in the old habit. He sighed, and then quickly threw off his depression. Nonsense! Next week she will be scolding us all with double energy. Meanwhile, may we sit down? Mademoiselle, ten minutes, and upon my word, the very thing my soul was longing for, a cup of coffee. For at that moment, Hutton and two footmen entered with trays containing tea and coffee, lemonade and cakes. Shut the door, Hutton, please, Mademoiselle Le Breton implored, and the door was shut at once. We mustn't, mustn't make any noise, she said her finger on her lip, looking first at Montresor and then at Delafield. The group laughed and moved their spoons softly, and once more lowered their voices. But the coffee brought a spirit of festivity. Chairs were drawn up, the blazing fire shone out upon a semicircle of people, representing just those elements of mingled intimacy and novelty which go to make a conversation and in five minutes, Mademoiselle Le Breton was leading it as usual. A brilliant French book had recently appeared, dealing with certain points of the Egyptian question in a manner so interesting, supple, and apparently impartial, that the attention of Europe had been won. Its author had been formerly a prominent official of the French Foreign Office, and was now somewhat out of favour with his countrymen. Julie put some questions about him to Monsieur de Bartas. The Frenchman, feeling himself among comrades worthy of his steel, and secretly prickled by the presence of an English cabinet minister, relinquished the half-disdainful reserve with which he had entered, and took pains. He drew the man in question, in silhouette, with a hostile touch so sure, and irony so light, that his success was instant and great. Lord Lackington woke up handsome, white-haired dreamer that he was. He had been looking into the fire, half-smiling, more occupied in truth with his own thoughts than with his companions. Delafield had brought him in. He did not know exactly why he was there, except that he liked Mademoiselle Le Breton, and often wondered how the deuce Lady Henry had ever discovered such an interesting and delightful person to fill such an uncomfortable position. But this Frenchman challenged and excited him. He too began to talk French, and soon the whole room was speaking it, with the advantage to Julie Le Breton, which quickly made itself apparent. In English, she was a link, a social conjunction. She eased all difficulties, she pieced all threads. 
but in French her tongue was loosened. Though never beyond the point of grace, the point of delicate adjustment to the talkers around her, so that presently, and by insensible gradations, she was the queen of the room. The Duchess, in ecstasy, pinched Jacob Delafield's wrist, and forgetting all she ought to have remembered, whispered rapturously in his ear, Isn't she enchanting? Julie, tonight! That gentleman made no answer. The Duchess, remembering, shrank back, and spoke no more, till Jacob looked round upon her with a friendly smile which set her tongue free again. Monsieur de Bartas, meanwhile, began to consider this lady in black with more and more attention. The talk glided into a general discussion of the Egyptian position. Those were the days before the Araby, when elements of danger and of doubt abounded, and no one knew what a month might bring forth. With perfect tact, Julie guided the conversation so that all difficulties, whether for the French official or the English statesman, were avoided with a skill that no one realised till each separate rock was safely passed. Presently, Montresor looked from her to Dubartas with a grin. The Frenchman's eyes were round with astonishment. Julie had been saying the lightest but wisest things. She had been touching incidents and personalities known only to the initiated with a restrained gaiety which often broke down into a charming shyness, which was ready to be scared away in a moment by a tone too serious or too polemical, which, jarred with the general key of the conversation, which never imposed itself and was like a ripple on a summer sea, for the summer sea has its depths, and this modest gaiety was a mark of an intimate and first-hand knowledge. Ah, oh, I see, thought Montresor, amused. P has been writing to her. The little minx, he seemed to have been telling her all the secrets. I think I'll stop it. Even she minds quite understand what should and shouldn't be said before this gentleman. So he gave the conversation a turn, and Mademoiselle Le Breton took the hint at once. She called others to the front. It was like a change of dancers in a ballet. While she rested, no less charming as a listener than as a talker, her black eyes turning from one to the other and radiant with the animation of success. For one thing at last she had forgotten. She had forgotten to impose any curb upon the voices around her. The Duchess and Lord Lackington were sparring like a couple of children, and Montresor broke in from time to time with his own loud laugh and gruff throat voice. Meredith, the Frenchman, Warkworth, and General Fergus were discussing a grand review which had been held the day before. Delafield had moved round to the back of Julie's chair, and she was talking to him, while at the same time her eyes were on General Fergus, and her brain was puzzling as to how she was to secure the five minutes' talk with him that she wanted. He was one of the intimates of the Commander-in-Chief. She herself had suggested to Montresor, of course, in Lady Henry's name, that he should be brought to Brutton Street some Wednesday evening. Presently, there was a little shifting of groups. Julie saw that Montresor and Captain Warkworth were together by the fireplace, and the young man, with his hands held out to the blaze and his back to her, was talking eagerly, while Montresor, 
looked outward upon the room with his great black head bent a little towards his companion who was putting sharp little questions from time to time with as few words as might be julie understood that an important conversation was going on the montresor whose minds various friends of hers had been endeavouring to make up for him was now perhaps engaged in making it up for himself with a quickened pulse she turned to find general fergus beside her what a frank and soldierly countenance a little roughly cut with a strong mouth slightly underhung and a dogged chin the whole lit by eyes that were the chosen homes of truth humanity and will presently she discovered as they drew their chairs a little back from the circle that she too was to be encouraged to talk about warkworth the general was of course intimately acquainted with his professional record but there were certain additional indian opinions a few incidents in a young man's early career including especially a shooting expedition of much daring in the very district to which the important mokembe mission was now to be addressed together with some quotations from the private letters of her own or lady henry's which julie with her usual skill was able to slip into his ear all in the assumption delicately maintained that she was merely talking to a friend of lady henry's as lady henry herself would have talked to much better effect had she been present the general gave her a grave and friendly attention few men had done sterner or more daring feats in the field yet here he sat relaxed courteous kind trusting his companion simply as it was his instinct to trust all women julie's heart beat fast what an exciting what an important evening suddenly there was a voice in her ear do you know i think we ought to clear out it must be close on midnight she looked up startled to see jacob delafield his expression of doubt or discomfort recalled her at once to the realities of her own situation but before she could reply a sound struck on her ear she sprang to her feet what was that she said a voice was heard in the hall julie le breton caught the chair behind her and delafield saw her turn pale but before she or he could speak again the door of the library was thrown open good heavens said montresor springing to his feet lady henry monsieur du bartas lifted astonished eyes on the threshold of the room stood an old lady leaning heavily on two sticks she was deathly pale and her fierce eyes blazed upon the scene before her within the bright firelit room the social comedy was being played at its best but here surely was tragedy or fate who was she what did it mean the duchess rushed to her and fell of course upon the one thing she should not have said oh aunt flora dear aunt flora but we thought you were too ill to come down so i perceive said lady henry putting her aside so you and this lady she pointed a shaking finger at julie have held my reception for me i am enormously obliged you have also she looked to the coffee cups provided my guest with refreshments i thank you 
I trust my servants have given you satisfaction. Gentlemen, she turned to the rest of the company who stood stupefied. I fear I cannot ask you to remain with me longer. The hour is late, and I am, as you see, indisposed. But I trust on some future occasion I may have the honour. She looked round the room, challenging and defying them all. Montresor went up to her. My dear old friend, let me introduce you Monsieur de Bartas of the French Foreign Office. At this appeal to her English hospitality and her social chivalry, Lady Henry looked grimly at the Frenchman. Monsieur de Bartas, I am charmed to make your acquaintance. With your leave, I will pursue it when I am better able to profit by it. Tomorrow I will write to you to propose another meeting. Should my health allow. Enchanté, madame, murmured the Frenchman, more embarrassed than he had been, ever been in his life. Permettez-moi de vous faire mes plus sincères excuses. Not at all, monsieur, you owe me none. Montresor again approached her. Let me tell you, he said imploringly, how this happened, how innocent we all are. Another time, if you please, she said with a most cutting calm. As I said before, it is late. If I had been equal to entertaining you, she looked round upon them all. I should not have told my butler to make my excuses. As it is, I must beg you to allow me to bid you good night. Jacob, will you kindly get the Duchess her cloak? Good night, good night. As you see, she pointed to the sticks which supported her. I have no hands tonight. My infirmities have need of them. Montresor approached her again in real and deep distress. Dear Lady Henry, go, she said under her breath, looking him in the eyes, and he turned and went without a word. So did the Duchess, whimpering, her hand in Delafield's arm. As she passed Julie, who stood as though turned to stone, she made a little swaying movement toward her. Dear Julie, she cried imploringly, but Lady Henry turned. You will have every opportunity tomorrow, she said. As far as I am concerned, Miss Le Breton will have no engagements. Lord Lackington quietly said, Good night, Lady Henry, and without offering to shake hands, walked past her. As he came to the spot where Julie Le Breton stood, that lady made a sudden, impetuous movement towards him. Strange words were on her lips, a strange expression in her eyes. You must help me, she said brokenly. It's my right. Was that what she said? Lord Lackington looked at her in astonishment. He did not see that Lady Henry was watching him with eagerness, leaning heavily on her sticks, her lips parted in a keen expectancy. Then Julie withdrew. I beg your pardon, she said hurriedly. I beg your pardon. Good night. Lord Lackington hesitated. His face took a puzzled expression. Then he held out his hand and she placed hers in it mechanically. It'll be all right, he whispered kindly. Lady Henry will soon be herself again. Shall I tell the butler to call for someone, her maid? Julie shook her head. And in another moment he too was gone. Dr. Meredith and General Fergus stood beside her. 
the general had a keen sense of humour and as he said good-night to his unlawful hostess whose plight he understood no more than his own his mouth twitched with repressed laughter but dr meredith did not laugh he pressed julie's hands on both of his looking behind him he saw that jacob delafield who had just returned from the hall was endeavouring to appease lady henry he bent towards julie don't deceive yourself he said quickly in a low voice this is the end remember my letter let me hear to-morrow as dr meredith left the room julie lifted her eyes only jacob delafield and lady henry were left harry warkworth too was gone without a word she looked round her petuously she could not remember that he had spoken that he had bade her farewell a strange pang convulsed her she scarcely heard what lady henry was saying to jacob delafield that the words were emphatic enough much obliged to you jacob but when i want your advice in my household affairs i will ask for it you and evelyn crowborough have meddled a good deal too much in them already good night hatton will you get a cab and with a slight but impetuous gesture lady henry motioned towards the door jacob hesitated then quietly took his departure he threw julie a look of anxious appeal as he went out but she did not see it her troubled gaze was fixed on lady henry that lady eyed her companion with composure though by now even the old lips were wholly blanched there is really no need for any conversation between us miss le breton said the familiar voice but if there were i am not to-night as you see in a condition to say it so when you came up to say good-night to me you were determined on this adventure you had been good enough i see to rearrange my room to give my servants your orders julie stood stonily erect she made a dry lips answer as best as they could we meant no harm she said coldly it all came about very simply a few people came in to inquire after you i regret they should have stayed talking so long lady henry smiled in contempt you hardly show your usual ability by these remarks the room you stand in she glanced significantly at the light and the chairs gives you the lie you had planned it all with hutton who has become your tool before you came to me don't contradict it distresses me to hear you well now we part of course perhaps tomorrow you will allow me a few last words i think not this will cost me dear said lady henry her white lips twitching say them now mademoiselle you are suffering julie made an uncertain step forward you ought to be in bed that has nothing to do with it what was your objective tonight i wish to see the duchess it is not worth while to prevaricate the duchess was not your first visitor julie flushed Captain Warkworth arrived first. That was a mere chance. It was to see him that you risked the whole affair. You've used my house for your own intrigues. Julie felt herself physically wavering under the lash of these sentences. But with a great effort, 
she walked towards the fireplace, recovered her gloves and handkerchief which were on the mantelpiece, and then turned slowly to Lady Henry. I have done nothing in your service that I am ashamed of. On the contrary, I have borne what no one else would have borne. I have devoted myself to you and your interests, and you have tampered upon and tortured me. For you, I have merely been a servant, and an inferior... Lady Henry nodded grimly. Is this true? she said, interrupting. I was not able to take your romantic view of the office of companion. You need only have taken a human view, said Julie, in a voice that pierced. I was alone, poor, worse than motherless. You might have done what you would with me, a little indulgence, and I would have been your devoted slave. But you chose to humiliate and crush me, and in return to protect myself, I, in defending myself, have been led, I admit, into taking liberties. There is no way out of it. I shall, of course, leave you tomorrow morning. Then at least we understand each other, said Lady Henry with a laugh. Good night, Miss Le Breton. She moved heavily on her sticks. Julie stood aside to let her pass. One of the sticks slipped a little on the polished floor. Julie, with a cry, ran forward, but Lady Henry fiercely motioned her aside. Don't touch me! Don't come near me! She paused, a moment to recover her breath and balance. Then she resumed her difficult walk. Julie followed her. Kindly put out the electric lights, said Lady Henry, and Julie obeyed. They entered the hall in which one little light was burning. Lady Henry, with great difficulty and panting, began to pull herself up the stairs. Oh, do let me help you, said Julie in agony. You will kill yourself. Let me at least call Dixon. You will do nothing of the kind, said Lady Henry, indomitable, though tortured by weakness and rheumatism. Dixon is in my room where I bade her remain. You should have thought of the consequences of this before you embarked upon it. If I were to die in mounting these stairs, I would not let you help me. Oh, cried Julie, as though she had been struck, and hid her eyes in her hands. Slowly, laboriously, Lady Henry dragged herself from step to step. As she turned the corner of the staircase, and could therefore be no longer seen below, someone softly opened the door of the dining room and entered the hall. Julie looked around her, startled. She saw Jacob Delafield, who put a finger to his lip. Moved by a sudden impulse, she bowed her head on the banister of the stairs against which she was leaning and broke into stifled sobs. Jacob came up to her and shook her hand. She felt his own tremble, and yet his grasp was firm and supporting. Courage, he said, bending over her. Try not to give way. You will want all your fortitude. Listen, she gasped, trying vainly to control herself, and they both listened to the sound above them in the dark house, the laboured breath, the slow, painful step. Oh, she wouldn't let me help her. She said she would rather die. Perhaps I have killed her, and I could, I could, yes, I could have loved her. She was in an anguish of feeling, of sharp, penetrating remorse. Jacob Delafield held her hand close to his, 
and when at last the sound had died in the distance, he lifted it to her lips. You know that I'm your friend and servant, he said in a queer, muffled voice. You promised I should be. She tried to withdraw her hand, but only feebly. Neither physically or mentally had she the strength to repulse him. If he had taken her in his arms, she could hardly have resisted. But he did not attempt to conquer more than her hand. He stood beside her, letting her feel the whole mute, impetuous offer of his manhood, thrown at her feet to do what she would with. Presently, when once or more she moved away, he said to her in a whisper, Go to the Duchess tomorrow morning, as soon as you can get away. She told me to say that. Hutton gave me a little note from her. Your home must be with her till we can settle what is best. You know very well that you have devoted friends. But now, good night. Try to sleep. Evelyn and I will do all we can with Lady Henry. Julie drew herself out of his hold. Tell Evelyn I would come to see her. At any rate, as soon as I can put my things together. Good night. And she, too, dragged herself up the stairs, sobbing, starting at every shadow. All her nerve and daring were gone. The thought that she must spend yet another night under the roof of this old woman who hated her filled her with terror. When she reached her room, she locked her door and wept for hours in a forlorn and aching misery. End of chapter 9 Recorded by Fresh Race